One, two, three, and we are live from the Dispatches from the Scandamaniac podcast. I am your host, as always, Captain Ryland Johnson. Before I get into today's episode, some housekeeping. I've uh, got a little behind on my releasing my episodes. I actually did Taylor Syracuse and um, who was the other episode? I have one other one backlogged and I will get those out. It's funny that I'm saying this, though, because by the time you are listening to this one, those episodes will be out. But I've... Uh, I've been struggling sometimes. Sometimes I record an episode and I'm not completely happy with it, or I just feel that I wasn't on par, and it's sometimes unfair to my guests because then I struggle with what to do with it. And the whole point of this podcast is to release raw, unedited conversations, and sometimes they're bad because sometimes conversations are bad, and sometimes I have off days and my questions just aren't quite there, and, you know, um, I just kind of got to live with that. So I will get those episodes out, and without further ado, my guest today is Simon Olivier Gagnon. I hope I did not butcher that. I am very much not a francophone, but can you do us a favor and ring us the ship's bell, Simon? So, Simon, welcome to the podcast. Um, first, then, the question is, how do you like the boat? It's uh, very, very interesting. I, I didn't know that it was that boat. I've seen another boat uh, next to the Jolliff Island, and I thought it was this one, the Scandimaniac boat, but no. So mm-hmm. I was surprised. I'm, I'm here floating out by uh, the South Dog Island. Yeah, we're, we're like a whole different crew at this end of the bay because these are all the newer houseboats in the year, so like... If you're going to get into houseboat culture, there's a bit of divide between, like, the old school. It's like, <laughs> this boat's been here forever. And, like, you know, a couple ones that's like, that boat's two years old, you know? doesn't have as much lore around it. And I find it interesting to be on a, on a boat because on a, well, on a houseboat, uh, the houseboat moves. But this houseboat seems to be moving a little bit more. So we always have a different standpoint from where we're looking and... Yeah, exactly. I'm on a single anger point, which is there's most of them aren't. So I kind of get a changing view, which I like. And some people like get a little confused when they're on the boat. I'm like, weren't we just facing the other way? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we were. Um, Simone, maybe before we get into this episode. So this podcast is first and foremost, the Yellowknife podcast. I always try to situate my conversations and the whole theme of the podcast about Yellowknife life. Um, can you just kind of give us a brief summary of what you're doing in Yellowknife and why you're here, what you've been up to. Uh, I'm here because uh, I received a call. There was a call and it was the Radio Tega call. Uh, so I've seen the, the ads on the internet. It was um, the Association of Community Radio, the Canadian Association of Community Radio that was uh, sharing this ads. And I was like, oh, I could do radio for 12 weeks, 11 weeks. and in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories and I was like well I was thinking about do I go like to do some bicycle this summer yeah do I try to find some uh, job that pay I mean job that pay more than 15 bucks an hour <laughs> yeah, yeah or at least and I've seen this this jobs ads and I was like hmm why not try to do some radio and get back to radio 
Yeah, yeah. So you've you've played with sound a little. Is that fair to say? Can you kind of tell me what you've been up to? And I mean, I'm always interested in talking about radio in general because I'm very much an amateur podcaster. But uh, every once in a while, I meet you know you meet these people who are radio broadcasters, and it there's there's such a depth of knowledge there that I don't think people realize. Like not just in the technical, but kind of. The way to make good radio is like lots of theory behind it and like takes years of practice as I am realizing with the bad episodes and my rambling questions. <laughs> it's not that bad, first of all, and you're doing, yes indeed, amateur radio, but you're doing it quite uh, fantastically. You're yeah. asking questions <laughs> and people are like in the situation where they have to answer. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that's the hope. Uh, have you have you listened to the podcast before? Yeah, a few of them. Yeah. Yeah, the first one, uh, the one with uh, Michaela, yeah. and the one with uh, Maddie, because they are a colleague of uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the girlfriend of the colleague I have in Radio Tega, so Maxence yeah. and and uh, Nicolas' girlfriend. So. Oh yeah, that's funny. I didn't even make that connection. Good. I'm getting the whole Radio Tega <laughs> extensions in there. Connection. I should, exactly. I should have Maxence and Nicolas on the podcast too. They're they're on the list. Max too. Have you? Did you know Max wrote a book on judo? Have you ever? Yeah, I have it, mm. and uh, uh, behind my my the chair where I am. Yeah. Um, and there's plenty of other books like the one of uh, René Fumelo. Yeah. Um, well, as plenty of other books I wanted to read, and I, I didn't had the time to jump in it. I had the time to jump in the Aquilon. A uh, few example of the yellow knifer. Yeah, yeah. But didn't had uh, time to dig the Northwest Territories literature. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so, where do you call home? And when are you? Uh, you got about a, a couple weeks left here. What? Uh, where do you return to? What are you doing? I was calling home um, uh, a little tiny house on the Latham Island that I just left a few few minutes ago maybe <laughs> 15 or half an hour ago yeah it was my home for for two weeks so i i had good memories in this tinny home but the place i i really call home is quebec city yeah yeah i used to live in montreal during the last years and it was very very interesting time there walking a lot in the city and so you were born in quebec city but uh how do you feel about the Montreal-Quebec relationship? A favorite question I have for all of my Quebecois friends. <laughs> there's the, um, there's this is like a connection, and I'm sure we could do the 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 the, the, the analogy with uh, how the, the 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 city in France that all are all connected to Paris. Yeah. Everyone once go to Paris and somehow never came back to the original town where they came and a lot of artists in Quebec City leave the city to go in Montreal yeah yeah and there's artists that are trying to fight against this uh, against this uh, movement of population of intellectual of people that care for social justice and p people like are moving to Montreal as I know in one of your previous episodes you were talking about something like uh, how do you call Yellowknife as a transient city? Or yeah, yeah, very, yeah, very transient city. So well, everybody go to Montreal and we try to keep people like. I've heard this from a lot of my like uh, 
Quebecois fans from Quebec that it's like they uh and and I I like I love Quebec City. I feel like just when you're there, there's an authenticity to it that's just so real that I, I it, it doesn't it's the first time I went to Quebec was like probably the like I've traveled the world the most culture shock I've ever had because there's all of us Canadians just wandering around and like not realizing Quebec City is there and it's just like such a continuous kind of culture that is. I don't know. You can just feel it in the air. And I and I didn't get that sense from Montreal. Montreal just felt like another kind of city I have Big been. City, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I would like to spend some more time in Quebec City and distill, unpack what that's about. Maybe do some interview some people. Mm. Do a Scandi Maniac uh, adventure <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll drive it down there somehow. <laughs> um, You're going to have to show me the, the, the way on the map to go there by boat. So I, I'd also like to reflect on you kind of, so us, a lot of us yellow knifers, we get like little glimpses into the underground Francophone community here because there, I mean, obviously there's language barriers and, you know, I've, uh, we have the, the blue house and the yellow house. Have you, have you heard this saying yet too? Which one is the, it? Yellow House? The, so the Yellow House is... I don't even know who's living in the Yellow House right now, but uh, I, I, when I used to go there, Alex Asabagui was there, and there's a bunch of Francophones kind of going in and out of it for years and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Yellow House. Yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think it's it's very interesting in Yellowknife that there still is such a divide, and um, it, because a bunch of us Southern or anglophones who come up just don't speak french so we can't like break that barrier but there's this interesting like yellow knife's history is very much one of having a very strong francophone community from the beginning and so you coming here like get obviously thrown into the heart of the francophone community working at the radio station um can you just kind of reflect like what's that like for you like when you were coming up here did you like expect to be like oh yeah i'll just be hanging out with a bunch of francophone people or like how how was that <laughs> jumping into that from you know coming from quebec to Yellowknife, and i'm sure just having no idea what to expect yeah i don't feel that there's such a thing as you call a divide no. uh, the boat community and the other communities that are here like the filipinos and and other people from from congo seems to like all be merging together and well i have not seen any uh divide at all uh, people get to know and people are curious curious and and there's a lot of francophile that i've met and well i didn't know that uh, yellow knife was um that much francophone uh, i've heard a little bit before coming here about yellow knife but yeah i remember like walking during the farmer market and i was like okay people are still having this <laughs> Quebecer accent and and I was still saying that in my mind like eight weeks after being here I was like okay there's yeah. Quebecer <laughs> and Francophone all around the yeah yeah for sure yellow knife um and like a really interesting well I the the lack of barriers is something in yellow knife I've talked about in a lot of ways the town's just too small for there to be any re like you know segregation or something like the the barriers are very porous and everyone's kind of interacting and you know i i have a bunch of francophone friends but i i don't get i can't you know by language barrier go to these parties and kind of like distill what that culture is like because there's also another interesting going on there where it's like 
we have so many francophones but they're from africa they're from quebec they're from france you know i have francophone friends who are acadian i have francophone friends who like grew up in bc up here and it's just this kind of like amalgamation that all has to then come under the operate in that world and i uh and then you realize that quebec or <laughs> people from from quebec are not like the majority of the francophone here there's as you said people from mm. manitoba saskatchewan mm. and yeah yeah it's it's super interesting definitely um all right so we've kind of just hopped into this episode but i'd like to bring a little bit of intention onto this um where we're trying to go we kind of chatted about a bit creating a roadmap but uh I don't even remember when, I think maybe you were at Folk on the Rocks doing Radio Tiger podcast and I was like, hey, and we chatted and I said, you should come on the podcast. And then I just kind of forgot about that. Then I sent you a message and we crossed in a couple of other circles. And then someone actually said to me like, hey, you should have Simone on the podcast. So it's kind of just been this weird kind of like Yellowknife small town crossing of circles. Um, I, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh yeah, I also kind of wanted to frame this as like very much... Uh, whatever you bought your recorder today and you were taking some sound and so is are you recording right now as well um yeah but i don't know the sound quality of it <laughs> yeah that's you right. have your headphone i i don't have mine <laughs> first tips always carry your headphone when you're recording <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i actually don't take them out i find it creates a bit of a bubble in the thing definitely but, um yeah so for this episode like any questions you want to ask me that help your own recording or your own purposes go ahead i don't know what you're gonna do with this and you know i just kind of record it and throw it up on the internet and see what the response is but i don't know if i'm gonna ask questions yet <laughs> I, i feel like happy to be on the other side of the microphone <laughs> i yeah i've uh whenever i uh my friends who are like been helping with the political campaign or like who are journalists or comms people or like have been on that other side they're like oh it's so nice like to just you know we we've been doing these mock kind of debates and interrogations and they're like oh i feel like i'm always answering questions or i'm always and i i'm very envious of journalists who kind of get to i mean you get to ask people questions all day and whatnot and you kind of it's your job yeah you're paid for, for <laughs> yeah, taunting to, to people be... <laughs> to inquisitive or whatever which is very much what i'm doing on this show but i find whenever journalists get on the other side they're like oh yeah i forget to kind of and forget how much information you retain all day asking questions you know you just and i mean so i guess that was a lot of me just rambling um so you don't consider yourself a journalist and in this kind of program you're doing like what kind of work have you been doing kind of little radio documentary stories can you tell me some of your favorite stories you've done or like things you've worked on while you're in yellowknife Oh, so many projects I wanted to do, and and now I just realized that there's few days to go. And uh, at the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a project that is trying to show where are we at, and to try to inform people what what's going on in the Northwest Territories. And I wanted to uh, show what's uh, the francophone life here in Yellowknife. So I've started a podcast series that is called uh, Yellowknife Transit. Yeah. And um, I haven't done uh, episodes since three or four weeks. Yeah. I was very happy with this uh, with this format because I was very spontaneous um, recording things here and there. Yeah, you were out doing field recordings and kind of going to events and such. Is that right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like very uh, spontaneous uh, yeah. recording, not knowing what I was recording, 
not knowing why I was doing it. Yeah, yeah. But I felt like there is something of doing action, doing things yeah. without knowing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then I realized that this summer will end one day and that I had to uh, offer something to uh, Radio Tega. And Radio Tega is celebrating uh, their 18th anniversary uh, this year yeah. on the 14th of September. So I wanted to offer them some uh, interviews of the old uh, volunteers that have done a radio show at Radio Tega and digging in their archives. So I took the time to dig into the uh, archive of the Aquilon. Uh, I took the time to search the archive of Radio Tega, which are always here and there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not where they're supposed to be. <laughs> I have no doubt. And you collect things, you ask people, well, would you like to come one day so we can record something about your past in, the, in this uh, institution, which is Radio Tega and... Uh, Yeah, so I, I was at the beginning of the summer, I was very spontaneous recording things and here and there, trying to record ravens and which I didn't have uh, good recording yet, so I'll have to try again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was able this weekend to record uh, with my cell phone, which is not good quality. I was able to record the melody of the high struck. Uh, ice cream truck <laughs> that's good and I was like well hopefully I'll be happy to uh, I'm happy to have collect this 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 sound here yeah you're gonna have to sit down and spend <laughs> quite a few days editing and kind of reflect and compile on what, or not I don't know do what I'm this. gonna do with those sound. <laughs> there's plenty of people I've met like there's plenty of people I've met uh, and I've a very good recording of them but i don't know when and how i'm gonna flip it and uh so now after the mid of the summer i've became a little bit more systematic yeah yeah and like now i'm like okay we're gonna do 18s um uh, forms for radio tega which is gonna be 18 candles somehow for the celebration of, of uh, radio tega yeah so i've met i've met all the producer and And now I think we're almost at the um, the half of the job I have to do, but they are not um, they the 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 interview I did are not like uh, constructed. I'll have to do the editing after that, and yeah, and this is the funny part of it because you get into the past of those producer and you get into their archive and it's done. It's it's somehow like Inception in their. And the, the the practice that the, they used to do like 10 years ago or something, yeah 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 which is voice practices <laughs> and it's yeah it's super interesting to interview someone having all of that kind of access to it and you know you come in and i'm sure they've forgotten and not remembered a lot of it just like these spurs to a point in time years ago which is uh one of the reasons i really like doing this podcast i like just kind of sending these audio recordings out into space and you know who knows and 10 years or 20 years or 30 years i or my kid or someone in yellow knife might just pick them up and it's like oh wow that's a real point in time kind of summary of what was happening um and it's writing stuff somehow radiophonically writing yeah exactly i really think um the the northwards writers festival here has has been kind of hesitant to include a lot of you know 
not typical writers and kind of just keep it to novelists or poets or whatnot. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't, would never think of myself as a writer, but there's, as I see my episodes get better and better and I put more thought into them, it's my words and my thought processes become just like much more fluid and direct. And if I were going to put pen to paper about like some of these kind of thoughts on the medium, it would just flow so easily. No, this is writing. This is, uh, one of my friends that I did radio with her before, mm -hmm. uh, she's having a festival in September in Montreal. Yeah. Uh, with their organization that they did, uh, it's Magneto, and then the name of the festival is uh, the Invisible Writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as radio production. Yeah. I'd uh, I'd really like to. I'm gonna I'm gonna get there. I'll get there and get some of the big time kind of old time Yellowknife radio guys who've been doing this forever and. Uh, because it's uh it's difficult it's difficult to continually kind of fill space with such intention to your words you know with writing you can pause take your time and you kind of get to edit and it's just the rawness of this is like if i regret something i said well i said it and if i regret it three days from now who cares it's on the internet i can't take it off you know i can't edit or take it back you know it's very much just there it's ephemeral but <laughs> solidified for a time but it's a format with which you experiment and you could have another side project that you decide to take more your time in and, and focus on a specific point of on a yellow knife and like somehow uh, somebody told me that there's a cafe next to the Chaldef Island yeah yeah nice. where, where where people met and uh, Diane, uh, Diane Boudreau told me that this is uh, people from ge geology geologists that that are, are are meeting that there and I just had an interview with uh, Jeff Hipner like an hour ago two hours ago yeah and he was telling me like that the people there are telling very interesting stories about Yellowknife and you could go there and just listen yeah, yeah. like well my problem would be that I would bring my I would like to bring my microphone <laughs> Well, you could potentially do a side project and saying to yourself, well, why not cover, like, what is this cafe? Who have been there? Yeah, yeah. Still and, there? and Franz, who runs it, I, I mean, I've drunk coffee there hundreds of times. He's super, like, he's super interesting. And he's he's worked in, like, national parks in Kenya. He, he actually is, like, a consultant for the government. And he's hosted, like, all-day kind of visioning and like strategic planning sessions there and we'll get different bureaucrats and they'll just sit in the houseboat cafe all day kind of and he'll like really good at unpacking and kind of getting to the root of what you know people should be doing he's an amazing consultant for government and I've, i've talked to a lot of my you know fellow bureaucrats who have like worked with him and been like oh wow it was just like what's so much purpose and to our job after and um, he is opening a space where people talk Yeah, and I think as soon as you have like a, a person who's curating that space or is, your host is, you know, and can just chime in with little thoughts, it just elevates the level of conversation. And as you say, you get a group of geologists in there and it's just like such a rich kind of point in time conversation that I, it's becoming rarer and rarer in our world. Maybe I'll do a dispatches from the, I forget what Franz's boat is called. Uh, something cafe some name mario's cafe mario's Ma mario's marvelous emporium that's what it's called dispatches from mario's marvelous emporium episode um all right so 
Simon, when you uh, you finish up here in ten days, you're going back to Quebec City. Is that the plan? Mm-hmm. And what uh, what are you gonna do there? What are you, what are you, threads are you picking up? I'm going to begin a thesis. Uh, first of all, finished um, eighteen candles that I'm recording mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, doing some adventurous uh, montage. Do you say that in English? Yeah, yeah. Montage. It's very an interesting say montage, you know. Montage. <laughs> really anglophone it, but yeah, montage. It's very an interesting mm-hmm. things to do if you have the occasion one time you you need to have a little bit of time, but yeah. It's very where you get in the deep writing of things because you articulate words and verbs and situation and and yeah. once you have different recording of the same person in different time you you get really into somehow like uh, inception and this is what what I like in radio where you can travel through space and through time and feel the deepness of yeah I, uh, of sounds and I helped put this podcast pitch together about kind of doing um, a history of giant mind but kind of doing it as you ever seen the TV show The Wire uh, anyways, the Wire is like a fairly famous HBO show but they kind of like tell similar stories but they focus on like a union and then the police and then the like criminals of a city and they kind of like intersect and whatnot and there's I've uh I really would love to do a history of giant mine and like get the historical society on board and get a bunch of like you know focus points of like you can get a police chief then because there's so much recording out there and old CBC footage and then you can interview that person now and just kind of like move through it as this not even like I don't want it to be about there's so many you know traumatic and significant events in giant minds history but just trying to paint this kind of image of like how it's played on a town in a place throughout time you know not having really a starter finish to it no, there's definitely things to. There's already have things that have been done on the giant mine, and uh, it's a, it's as generation pass. Every generation has to like cover somehow. <laughs> That's Mara. Everyone whining into the mic. She's fine. And like the giant mine, I, I was surprised how how much arsenic there's in this mine. There's somehow like. Can I count it? I've heard it's uh, 287,000 tons, yeah. tons of arsenic. <laughs> yeah. That's... And in my mind, I was like, okay, I'm in the Yellow Knife. I can see it from the Latam Island. I've been sailing boat next to it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to, I don't know, uh, tell a joke with arsenic or something. <laughs> Make me sentences with arsenic and Yellowknife, something, and but no, there's there's plenty of things that uh, have to be covered uh, about the giant mine, and uh, there is still people that have worked there. There's there's a there's an author that I took, his name is uh, Lee something. He wrote a book called uh, Dying for Dying for Gold. Dying for Gold. Yeah, yeah, I read it. Yeah. In the article of the Aquilon, they were saying at a certain moment that they have found a video, uh, audio cassette of one guy who put dynamite in the mm-hmm. mine. Robert I was Warren, like, yeah. oh, there's overall archive about that. Okay. Abs- absolutely. No, there's, yeah, and there's this 
interesting effect on the psyche of Yellowknife that is it's, it would be very hard to distill because it's different for everyone but like that that history is just so present and like what does it do to the mindset of a community to be sitting by 230,007 tons of arsenic you know one of the worst environmental disasters in Canadian history and then what does that do to how we frame you know continued mining development being you know so important to the territory like it's just always kind of present and it seeps into every kind of regulating decision cultural it's it's you know it's very very hard to ever you know you're never going to escape the consequences of it it just trickles through time in different ways and uh i don't know i've uh i i made these like comedic campy dead north films called arsenic wars but it's always like the underlying theme is that i think like the the arsenic will always play such a relevant role in Yellowknife. Like, you know, even if we spend a billion dollars to remediate it, we're actually just freezing it in time, which I think has this kind of interesting poeticness of it's like, that's our solution. It would just like freeze it for a bit, you know? And then as the world warms, it's like, you know, how long is that solution last? Does it last a millennia or longer? But it's always kind of there. And it's so like fictional to talk about this because... If you yeah, talk no, about exactly. this, that you say, okay, that they try to keep it freeze, and they they have plenty of machine to keep it freeze. Yeah, exactly. And people are like, oh, okay, <laughs> uh, it's a good story, it's it's a good novel. Where can <laughs> I buy the book? Or yeah, yeah, exactly. So you did a movie about that. Yeah, yeah, I made okay. a couple like a cheesy Dead North films, or I was in them, and a bunch of people made them, and the most recent one, my friend Jesse Wilson directed, and you know, um, so, and Arsenic Wars was initially me and my friend Mark Rendell, who's a journalist, did like a little radio play as a joke, um, and I've like told other people to write songs, or, but it's, I, there's something, I think, to the, this, the, the theme of the, the, cheesy bad dead north movies that we make in a mouth to all is also kind of like impending environmental disaster or like nuclear waste and the world has ended and it kind of plays with all of these themes that i think you know are present in the back of humans minds i mean humans love playing with apocalypse and sitting next to two hundred thirty-seven thousand tons of arsenic i think causes a town to think about disaster and apocalypse a little more it's somehow uh, very interesting that you guys did um, a fiction uh, video about it because you sensibilize a newer generation with a different angle to this uh, this very problematic situation and like previous generation did before like I met uh, France Benoit that did a very good documentary on the yeah absolutely on this subject and she had plenty of uh, person talking in, in this documentary as uh, Kevin O'Reilly and they, they were saying fact that need to be like constantly repeated and like exactly what are we going to do with those situation that corporation uh, have given to us as heritage like how can we ethically act now and for the situation to not reproduce it's always there yeah I, and it's funny even me like i i feel hesitant even talking about it because it's such a thing in Yellowknife, and there's so much legitimate kind of division and trauma and it's like you know i'm who am i to like even talk about it i feel tense like i and i see it in meetings like you know it's almost like you whisper like 
giant mind. You whisper Roger Warren's name, and it's still very present. Like, you know, how long that takes to heal, or if it ever does, is such a interesting question. And uh, there's actually uh, the Northern Mining podcast came out with an episode. Uh, it's a three part series, I think, recorded out uh, one of the mining trade fairs where uh, Peggy Whitty, who was the CEO of the time, um, and you know was there during the bombing and i mean if you've read the book there's just so much history to even unpack but like there was she just kind of bragging and talking about her ongoing mineral exploration projects and how she's going to the markets to raise capital and it's just like it's like the the whole interview series barely kind of talks on it talks about all of the mining projects she has and it like my giant mine's a blip on it but it's so interesting like you know, here we are all dealing with this in Yellowknife, and then there's here's this fundamental character just like going out and creating more mines. You know, and it's it's a <laughs> it's weird to listen to. It's hard to listen to, in fact. And with the history of one 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 woman, you mm-hmm. can this woman in in, in 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 this situation, you can reconstruct all the the history of this uh, corporation that had been that uh, went bankrupt in. 2000 and that the pension of all the employee went like yeah exactly it's and it's so like new history but hopefully like for yellow knifer it's uh, it's take it for granted and when you have information about things you know how to to act about situation like this yeah i think that's right and then you kind of always just have to <laughs> make sure that each new person who gets here kind of starts getting the context because you know sometimes things that are below the surface yet so obvious to many who've lived here but like if that doesn't get translated to new people it kind of they forget you know forget why emotions can run so high when you talk about you know not remediating sites or environmental disasters or you know one of my first contact with this situation was a map of uh yellow knife in a round Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, point out uh, every lake that are safe to swim or to drink or yeah 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 where you shouldn't catch fish and where you you know shouldn't harvest mushrooms and yeah exactly and people saying I would never like uh, let my dog drink water in this lake because of arsenic yeah exactly but it's uh did you come on yeah it's a bit of a shock it's a well and I I uh. It's neat becoming, as a newcomer, coming to a community whose job is to, you know, create some sort of media product. Because to me, like, you know, I've been here years and I've been interviewing so many people and trying to pick apart Yellowknife culture. But it's just like you can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think this is something I would really struggle with to ever be a journalist in this town is to, I mean, I have this problem where I want to dissect too much and go too deep. But like to just create content that's at the surface level and you don't even know you don't even know that there's all of this history going on and uh well i mean perhaps that's why it's you're so lucky to be able to interview people who you have access to their database because you can know more than them about their the history you're talking about at least normally like it takes you some time to meet people and it's maybe why it's at the end of the summer that i'm doing this role of interview about uh old Radio Tega producer. It's been 18 years, but there was uh, Francophone Radio before at CTLB. Yeah. Yeah. So since 1993, there's radio production in in, uh, in French that is done here. And well, it takes times and you get to know with like 
person, individual person, you can do the history, partly the history of some specific event in the Northwest Territories. And it's very interesting. There's there's still people on my, how do we call it, the bucket list? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't like the term, but on my <laughs> list, because we have always list, uh, yeah. there's few people like, uh, I don't know if I'll have the time to meet a friend, Hercom, that yeah, yeah. She's writing history about fishing industry here. Yeah, yeah. And she's working with oral interviews. She's doing interviews. So, and there's a uh, Pat Braden that is doing his midnight uh, musician from the Midnight Sun. Yeah. And there's all this generation uh, heritage that he is trying to save somehow. And I'll. I'll do my best to um, to try uh, to find the time to uh, to make those situation happen. And if yeah. it doesn't happen yet, I'll come <laughs> back in the next uh, next uh, next years. Good. Yeah, you're exactly the kind of person we want you to come up here and get stuck. You're, you're the perfect person to get stuck in the ONF, you know. <laughs> you know, you're unsure what you should do one summer, whether to make money or work on some project or go biking and you end up at the end of the road in Yellowknife, you know. Those are the kind of people who come back and before you know it you're Oh no, he's not here again <laughs> with his microphone. <laughs> that that guy with his goddamn mic all the time. <laughs> I've I've been that guy. Um you're still yeah you know ex except for you i invite people into my house so it's a, and the context is like you know i have my mic now i've made sure i've curated a space where i'm allowed to have the mic um the first podcast i did uh was the northern minds show and we did it in partnership with cabin radio and it was just like we had such ambitions of uh editing that we like took little clips and we were doing all sorts of things in our interviews like we'd be like we'd tell people like oh we can edit that out and then you like start to you record about 12 of these and then you get to like getting into it and trying to make it good and it's just like i realized like oh yeah like i it's so much work to, and you get you get mad at yourself i find when you look well i did i got mad for my questions and how i answered them and wished i could record things and it just became such a barrier um, it's so much work, but <laughs> when you have all those interview, those twelve interview, you just add on a narrative and I know exactly. something written, and you can. It's what is very interesting with writing radio. You can, uh, like, connect plenty of different situation as long as you follow your line as an as as a narrator. Yeah, exactly. You 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 can like explain Taking things me. that events that happened and that can happen in the future yeah so that's the dream is i want to god knows when maybe in years sit down with you know a couple monitors every audio clip clip all these guests and kind of narrate kind of some sort of thematic thing from it because you what... get the microphone <laughs> you actually got the headphones and uh so you just need some some time <laughs> exactly because no, the, the never audience... enough time <laughs> Yeah, but the audience uh, want to hear those kind of sounds and want to travel with with those mm. sounds and people they met and you introduce them to. Well, this is what we're doing in the Scandi Maniac uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, and I think it's a good thing for you know a person like you who just comes into town and is here for a little short time, but you create something that lasts and you interview so many people that I kind of wanted to have you on to 
pull some of those little tidbits out of you, you know, because then I was calling it a radiophonic date. Yeah, yeah. Because there's plenty of date I want to do. Oh, this guy and this guy. And <laughs> I had the guy from the the the, the guy who uh, is uh, operating the the printer uh, at Northern Northern News Services. Yeah, um, exactly. What's his name? I forget. Uh, Jewala. Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't who I was thinking of. But second. No, he, he, this game came come from Les Îles Maurice, and is, yeah. he was here to um, to cut some diamond. Oh yeah. And he's changed his profession to to become. He's operating, and I love that printing room. Like, aren't those printers just so cool? Like, you know, it's just this giant industrial machine. It's just like, oh, so satisfying, you know. And it feels just as print media dies everywhere. It just feels like this dinosaur of like so much nostalgia. And I love that it's just holding on this giant metal machine, this dragon kind of thing printer that are coming from germany yeah. i've recorded some of them yeah it was uh i've recorded some of them because i had in mind uh, uh sentences that I, I i i don't remember who it is i know i remember who what is and i forget it now it's maybe kid koala or amantabin that yeah. is going like field recording and he go in industrial shops and he always say that machine have a inner rhythm uh, yeah absolutely that, that absolutely. can be like re, re, resample and so i had that in mind um, i record plenty of things voice from people this is a uh, flashing low battery which i knew what was going to happen but i on principle like to use all my batteries so i'm just going to pause this and uh change the battery though um so I always do this. I pause in episodes to go grab some batteries or go pee or go get a coffee. And then I don't put an interlude into the episode. And then I do this thing where I acknowledge it when, when in fact I could just, uh, you know, carry on as if nothing happened and ask you a question. And, it, you know, for the listener who's kind of half paying attention as they're jogging or something, they probably wouldn't even notice. But I'd like to do this anyways because it just shows how unedited this is to remind people <laughs> that I just throw these clips on the Internet somewhat lazily perhaps it's unedited i keep saying i would like just the raw form of the medium but it's also partly laziness we'll see we'll see if i go and grab all these files and spend year hours and days editing them then you'll know that it was for the medium and i will i have spent much time editing so I, i'll figure it out one day it can even take decades we're patient what was that you can it can take decades yeah exactly exactly you gotta let it stew for a while too you know know exactly what you have um all right so you have about 10 days left in yellow knife is that right yeah so well what are you doing what do you got what do you got left to accomplish on the the 18 candles and uh well everything else you're trying to cram in um first of all th th very thank thank you very much to bring me on this uh Scandimaniac, uh podcast and um Arizon because we have uh, a landscape from here that I never seen before yeah perfect it's uh it is the best view on the lake I would say because <laughs> it moves and at the beginning I was like oh I'm gonna be trapped with the question of of Ryland <laughs> and Nicola told me uh, Nicola Cervelle yeah, from Radio Tega. Told me, oh, you should go to 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 Ryland podcast. <laughs> podcast. I was like, mm. 
gonna be challenging <laughs> but well with friends and uh people we, we like we were somehow like put to work with the question they they gave us and mm. they're they're asking us to to answer so i'm pleased to <laughs> to have had this uh experimentation with you yeah yeah switch the roles a little i hope it doesn't feel too much like work i hope it just feels like you know sitting on a boat drinking some wine because that's the that's no, the whole but goal this is like productive work like uh, i'm not like um, spitting on work it's mm. very important value but you need to know for what and for who you're working for <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so 10 days um I check on the calendar um, that today uh, it's the 18th of August. Yeah, I know. I don't know how the hell that happened either, but yes. <laughs> I, I check on the calendar and it's exactly 10 days before I take the plane to go back home. And uh, in my life, uh, maybe in the 10 last years, um, 10 last years, um, the, the 10 days signify something. Yeah, that was not signifying anything before. And um, Priscilla, Priscilla, this is this is her name. Priscilla. Yeah. Yeah. Priscilla. Actually, oh no no sorry, Crystal. Crystal. Crystal is my partner's name. Yeah yeah. Crystal. <laughs> There's a Priscilla in town as well, but yes. All right. Crystal. Crystal actually is sitting somehow in a position that um, remind me exactly the ten days yeah uh because there's a meditation adventure uh worldwide that is called uh vipassana it's a school and there's plenty of different school Yo yoga school uh there's the the university school and there's also the med meditation school and um as I'm rich of nothing else but time, uh, I have the occasion to um, to do few course like that, ten days courses, yeah. and it's uh, the mood in which I I like to remind myself like there's only ten days to do your things, and I remember like how much in this meditation school in Vipassana you learn back the technique and you. You are dying plenty of times during those ten days. There is no shortage of deaths and rebirths. Have you ever? Yeah, I, I just recently this spring did my first uh, ten-day vipassana course, and really? Crystal, Crystal is uh, practicing vipassana right now. She's sat, I don't know, five or something. And where where was it? In uh, in Merritt, BC. What can you say about this experience? <laughs> I, I've uh, I've always struggled to remotely unpack it because it's well, a it's you know you're sitting as you know for, <laughs> for six six no what is it five five thirty to ten ten thirty at night, nonstop you know hour breaks and it's just you're sitting and so nothing happens but and so much happens and it's just this battle against time and kind of discipline and uh, god i don't know i uh my my first few days i kind of were i got lost in kind of euphoria i would say i was very like you know i would go for my walks and there was like a very inner peace and then i kind of like had some real struggling days where like i wanted to just quit and break down and you know you're supposed to just be so uh what's what's the word equanimous and it just was the exact opposite for those few days 
Um, but yeah, it's uh, that's neat. I like that we're recording this podcast with your ten days left because if you know, uh, after you've done one Vipassana quest, ten days, if you're gonna bring intention to something, <laughs> that's a good number. And you remember, like you remember the first time you did it or the second time it was. They had the very specific event on the day four or day yeah, yeah, seven, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> so maybe, and somehow, radiophonics experimentation is is like vipassana because you're there with your body, you're there with your mind. You try to stay focused, and you got plenty of memories, and yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I find there's this. <laughs> it's an interesting comparison because you uh i mean you have to when you're be know you're being recorded or you're trying to produce a product you have to bring some intention to it you know you gotta figure out where you're taking an episode or why you're asking this question and uh, you know i stutter on that and uh <laughs> vipassana has this very interesting thing i and then perhaps you know i i don't it's hard for me to even speak like I remotely know what I'm talking about because even 10 days is not even remotely enough to get into the practice. But I think throughout that period of meditating, you have to like, when a when a memory comes up to you, because after days of sitting, you know, you, childhood memories would come to me and it's like, do I dive into this and focus on this and think about why it's coming or I, or do i do the technique kind of tells you to just let everything pass and you know so you're always kind of playing with this balance of how much do i let my conscious mind try to think and dissect or do i just slip back into letting it all kind of flow in this kind of eyes closed never-ending dream state where you, and the problem i find with you know you can get there you can get to be like you're dreaming but you know when you wake up and you have your dreams they often just disappear or you know, you kind of like dreaming. I don't know how beneficial. Well, it's obviously beneficial. If you don't dream, you go crazy. But um, dreaming is also this hard thing because it's just so. What's the word? Just ephemeral. Again, it dissipates. And so I think there's in the vipassana course, you always have to kind of be like that happened. That was a really intense like sensation that just rippled through my mind and body. And then unpack like, okay, I'm going to actually break from the practice for a bit and just kind of think and log that in the memory for like later. Why did that come up? Because it's just as much in those 10 days of all these things happen, although nothing is happening. You have to then spend 10 days kind of afterward, you know, dissecting it all or trying to figure out something from it. And the thing you log in memory is not not just Im imagination. It's it's somehow order to stay focused and yeah, yeah. like, okay. I'm not falling asleep. <laughs> I am here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My body is here. I'm trying to have a good position. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's a very a physical experience. Uh, absolutely, like you know. <laughs> I'm very happy that we're talking about it, but, um, and it's maybe uh, good to talk about it, but we're not doing doing it actually. <laughs> well, it's very I. Uh... Yeah, I've I've I ha I've struggled whenever people ask me. I just like it's it's so hard to talk about, you know? It's hard to talk about a meditation practice and it's uh but go. Yeah, just just go and then Try experience it. and then you can <laughs> Um Yeah. Because even, you know, it's Vipassana specifically is a practice that is I and I've done other kind of practices and I've delved in other things. Mm. Like, when I went to Thailand, I went to, you know, I meditated a bit and never 
struggled to bring a practice and that discipline back into my daily life. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but Vipassana is very much focused on the physical. Like, you know, it's not chasing kind of memories or letting your mind. It's just discipline. Get back to sitting straight. Get back to your breathing. Get back to just noticing sensations, you know, like really just staying in the present, which after 10 days is, is very interesting. Yeah. Um, so bringing this back to Yellowknife and you have formulated 10 days and you're going to create milestones and intention and how is that what do you what are you going to do what do you still want to do um i'm going to be uh, the last um ohm where i'll be out sitting and this time it's going to be through i'll really be house sitting yeah well last time i was really house sitting it was house sitting to garden and it was very uh, good uh, zucchini, uh, pea, uh, basilic, and now I'm gonna. I was sitting for three dogs, so I'll have uh, three friends for for a short short mm -hmm. period of ten days. Um, this is what I, I I'm gonna do. I maybe have to um, thanks a lot uh, Diane Boudreau. Yeah, yeah. Have set me uh, plenty of destination like four destinations, three destinations where I have been in the last week. I I said it uh, a few times recently that uh, I've been, I first lived on Getzel Street, yeah. then uh, close to Ragged Ass Road, and then on Latham Island. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm living the, the social mobility in like <laughs> very short period, I, I did like some somehow what's uh what's a person would do in 20 years <laughs> you're moving up in the yellow nights that's funny so i'm getting back on the 54th street uh what i'm gonna do for those 10 days and as we have just talked about the subject of discipline with talk um i'll surely be focused on the job i want to finish which is radiophonic stuff, phonic stuff, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I still have things to prepare uh, to get back to school in September. So be, be ready for the seminar fight that we're gonna have. And it's very, uh, it's as radio people ask you question and they want you to be, um, to be able to uh, respond with your idea and yeah, yeah. all you had and it's surely what you're going to live in uh, the next week because you're you're you're, you're running for uh, MLA and uh, <laughs> north of Yellowknife so yeah yeah there's uh this is probably good practice actually putting people on the other side of the microphone because uh the next month and a bit of my life is I just today started receiving my first stack of questions from, you know, interested organizations and ML or media. And, you know, it's kind of just, I've been switching from, uh, well, I guess for years gathering information, you know, and talking to people. And now it's, I have to synthesize all that information and put it back out there with my opinion attached to it. You know, it's a, it's a transition period I'm in right now from going to, just gaining people information from people and other MLAs to spewing out what mine is. And it's so. 
So I'll use the next 10 days myself to prepare what, uh, my, uh, what I put out into the world. What is interesting in politic, politic situation or just in ethical situation or just as in daily situation is that you need to, um, to say what you're doing or to do what you're saying. And, and you guys in English have a very nice expression that we don't have in French. And I very like the, the French language and the fact that we can talk and articulate ourselves in one language and talking like uh, Franklish or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, but you guys have the expression, be true to your word. Yeah, yeah. And this is exactly what you have to, to be when when people ask you question or the uh the whole running for public office is very much a radical reconciling of self and i uh i think the the politicians we have who have not done that are very noticeable i think that's a very you know regardless of your political beliefs those who have kind of are putting forward a fake personality it's it's noticeable you know humans we know we know when someone's bullshitting us and um that's because those people those politicians still say things that don't quite line up with who they are you know and it's it's an interesting kind of thing to just have to really in such a public way just reconcile your whole identity and everything you do is public and has to line up to you know it's uh it's been an ongoing process that i've been <laughs> practicing for years kind of bringing this everything i do with intention and kind of linking in a chain but now it's kind of like it's on trial very much so in the sense that it's for votes you know and you win or you lose it's very it's it's an interesting experiment to see i don't have an experiment to, to I, at times I feel like I'm putting myself on trial, but it's, I, I like to, I have to step back and be like, this is about ideas, you know, I'm putting political ideas, but there's still a person behind them myself who has to be true to them, you know, and when they're not consistent, I think everyone knows, like when you say a political belief, then it doesn't line up with your actions or your life, you know, it becomes very apparent quickly. And if people do not ask their question right now... The dog is sneezing a lot. <laughs> and if the people do Mara. not ask their question right now, they might ask them in four years or something, but they're going to ask you, how could you represent us as you are? You don't have any family. How can you represent us as you're, you're, not, uh, you're not native folk that come from the north of data yeah and that have lived for generation and generation next to Prillard lake yeah uh which i didn't i never went and i'm gonna get back on an idea before we close up and they're gonna ask you how can you represent us as someone who is living on a houseboat without um <laughs> paying any tax yeah exactly and it becomes this like you're, you're right because those questions are then not about the political idea they're about the identity and it's like uh, if there's certain facts about my identity i can never reconcile you know I, uh, if that's how you vote for your politicians it's i can't lie to you and say you know i am i was born here and i'm indigenous and i i pay property tax you know like those things just you know are, you can never be reconciled so it's been a it's been an interesting experiment too where you come up against 
well, there's this thing I find. It's like, am I saying things to get... I, I didn't mean this to become about my campaign, but whatever, I'll finish this thought process. Do I, do I say something because I truly believe it, or do I say something because I think it'll get me elected? And 90% of the times those align, but then sometimes, you know, as a politician, you like... You're like, well, if I say this, it's controversial and it's not popular, and I don't think it'll get me elected. And uh, I'm not the kind of person who doesn't say those things. <laughs> it's notorious about me. I sometimes say unpopular opinions, and and so like those keep coming out, and it becomes this like the people on my campaign team are like, you should probably stop saying that. Like you know, it's uh, also an interesting reconciling himself for a person who hosts a podcast where it's just spewing things and it's unedited and I don't have time to put my words together it's like to what extent do I apply a filter to my political life so all questions I've been dealing with as this campaign pro proceeds um, but uh, I guess back to you I uh, we will uh, wrap this episode up uh, Simone thank you very much for coming on the podcast um, and thanks for welcoming me. Maybe I had one thing to say about the the first episode. Yeah, was the episode with Jelaine. Jelaine Leverkowski. Yeah, uh, I don't know her, but uh, I know one of the friends I have in Quebec uh, that I've met last summer. Yeah, and I went here two years ago. Uh, Nicola. Yeah, uh, I've talked about her in uh, an archive that I've dig in Radio Tega, and she said something about like being a city girl. Uh, while living in the south yeah, and yeah. not being a city girl um, my idea was that um, when I just named uh, Prillard Lake yeah. uh, I never been there yeah. um, and I said to uh, Jeff Ipner that I interviewed a few hours ago that I never been to Yellowknife River Yeah. so I never really um, get out of Yellowknife during those last 11 weeks and I really feel as a city boy <laughs> well uh if you want me to take you to Yellowknife River and Freely Lake we can very much easily do that you know and we can uh, <laughs> you can record something for your show um, I was not rushing situation and there's plenty of people I could have met here and I was like okay we're meeting in this kind of situation. We're not rushing things, and things yeah. happen like that. I wanted to go to the Mackenzie River. I wanted to go to Hay River, but yeah. it didn't happen. I didn't, and I didn't provoke it. Sometimes it's not meant to happen. But it, I mean, it's. Uh, I think those are fair points we raise because coming to Yellowknife is it can't be separated from getting out on the land around Yellowknife or getting out in the bush or even just, you know, realizing that, you know, you go an hour into the woods and you're just back to nothing again, you know, like the city of Yellowknife is just such a blip on the map in this vast territory. I've I, been on the Great Slave Lake for hours while yeah. sailing Yeah. the small boats and it was <laughs> fantastic. Who's, whose boat were you on? Uh, the, the small one. Uh, was it the sailing club? For oh, the little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, we call it Mistral de Lazare in French. Uh, uh, Optimus? No, it was bigger than Optimus. I don't, I don't know. They're, I just call them dinghies. The little dinghies, they're fun. But this is the mm -hmm. one which, which mm -hmm. you have the, the more challenging. Yeah, yeah. And this is maybe the the deepest experience I had of the nature 
in the Northwest Territories because um, apart from that, I've been a city boy since Yellowknife. There's this uh, very nice thing about living on a boat that even though, you know, we're very much in the city, it's uh, every day I have to paddle and I just, something about paddling a canoe, it has so much Canadiana to it. And, you know, our whole country was founded by people paddling canoes and prior to Canada existing, there was people all over this territory paddling canoes. And I just like sometimes you get, it's the secret of houseboats, you get about halfway and your anxiety about work or life just kind of passes. And mm. I sometimes just stop, look around, put my hands in the lake. And, you know, I picture this water here taking about like, I think, think it's something like 50 years to flow down past Hay River, up the Mackenzie, and reach the Arctic Ocean. You know, there's just this giant beast of a lake and all of this watershed from thousands and thousands of miles everywhere it's neat to just kind of touch it for a second you know how much time would it take to go to uh to lutzake by by canoe <laughs> uh, two weeks i would say i don't know you know you got to give yourself some weather days for sure but yeah people do it all the time yeah yeah um all right with that uh Simone, Olivier Gagnon, thank you for coming on the Dispatches in the Scandinavian podcast. Can you do us a favor and uh, ring the ship's bell? It's been a pleasure. Rylan Johnson, I hope that the Scandinavian podcasts still go and go. Me too.